0: The selections for today are from two passages in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 10, 14 through 16, and then Deuteronomy 31 through 6, and I have no idea what David will be saying about these passages today, but I'll take the liberty of pointing out that what God commands Israel to do in Deuteronomy 10, 16 is something they could never do. And so in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, he promises he will do it. That is, circumcise their hearts. And we learn in Romans two twenty nine that that circumcision happens under the new covenant by the Spirit. Part of our great privilege in living in the new covenant. So now, God's word. Deuteronomy 10, 14 through 16. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff necked any longer. And then Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 6. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he has scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there, the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul, and live. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thanks be to God, indeed. I love it when we are bringing our Zoom crowd into the sanctuary to uh, participate in the worship and I particularly love the silhouetted effect that we get behind the window so that that dark image reminds us that our scripture can sometimes even be read with the voice of Darth Vader. So thank you Jeff, very much for that, I appreciate it. Christ's crucifixion is not enough, Christ's death on the cross is not enough enough let me say that again Christ's death on the cross is not enough the crucifixion of Christ is not enough what do I mean by this if you are familiar with the Congressional Medal of Honor that's given out by the US uh, Congressional Committee it's given out for valor and it's given out to soldiers who go above and beyond who actually usually sacrificially give their life for other people and the most common reason it's given out is for what's called falling on a grenade it's given out and has been given out in all of the wars that have been fought uh, since I think the First World War and typically people do not survive that it's very very rare to survive jumping on a grenade and why do people jump on a grenade because in that moment the most important to them thing to them is everybody else that's around and they sacrifice their life to absorb the impact of the grenade to protect the people around them now imagine if that debt if you owed that debt to somebody if you were one of those platoon members who was saved by someone jumping on a grenade and you came back home after the war the first thing you would probably do is you would go up to the spouse of that person and you say your your husband saved my life I'm here because of him he purchased my life with his own death I owe him everything whatever you need whatever you want I'm here for that and of course it's probably something that you would regularly do you would really call them you would make sure their kids had Christmas presents you would tell the, the 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 widow's children about their husband Uh, about their father and you would make a point if she rang up and said hey look I I need someone to paint the house or I need someone to do this or do that you make a point of making time to invest in what uh, she wanted and what she asked for you but at the end of the day if she started to ask you to come around every day all day 24 hours a day to commit your whole life to her life to actually pay the debt that you owe to to live out the purchased life that you've been given, to do nothing but to serve and be committed to her, you would start to say, crucifixion, death, it's, it's not enough, right? It's not enough. I have my own life to live. I was created for more than this. I have my own wife, I have my own family, I have my own kingdom to build. Yes, I'm willing to make some sort of partial commitment. I'm willing to acknowledge the debt, but i I just, aren't able to fully commit. I can't give the purchased life fully back to you. It's not within my capacity to be that faithful. And I remember sitting I remember very clearly, sitting with one of North Point congregation at, at one point in a coffee shop. And, and this is what I love about North Point, and we saw this actually in our series as we explored race. The hard conversations, the difficult things, the honesty that's required to dig into where we're at. So many of you have contacted me, called me and said, this is hard and wrestled through it with me. We're not a congregation afraid to struggle together, to to live together, to hurt together. And, And the honesty of this person was quite profound as she sat there and she said, listen, I've got to tell you, I'm having an affair. I'm actually having an affair with a married man. And it's not that I don't believe Christ died for me on the cross, I, I do. And it's not believe that I don't believe he loves me, but I'm lonely. And I was created for more than this. And I just don't know if I can be faithful. I get it, but I just don't know if I can be faithful. I was created for more than this. Christ crucified is not enough. Of course, legally it's enough. The full debt has been paid on the cross. Christ jumped on the grenade, we live, and he died on the cross. Legally, it is enough. The debt is paid. But faithfully, in terms of our response to that, our ability to have our purchased life completely committed to Christ, it just doesn't seem to be enough. When we first become Christians, those of us who had a conversion experience, that first love is, oh, of course, anything, Christ. My life is yours. I fully commit to it. I'll do whatever it takes. And then as we grow in our faith that first love starts to turn to obligation and then as we struggle with our kingdom and God's kingdom there's a little bit of guilt I was created for more than this Christ's crucifixion is not enough now Deuteronomy is in fact Moses's last message it's actually the whole book is written as Moses's words to the covenant people before joshua takes over and they move into the covenant land so it's his it's his final message and i want you to know that if you read it aloud it takes two and a half hours so anyone who complains about the length of the sermons at north point should take that in, in into account but if clearly moses is wrapping up and saying what's most important to him and the whole of the book of deuteronomy which Is even that a paraphrase, because there are parts which says, and the law was read. That whole two and a half hour sermon from Moses is a recounting of the history of the Hebrews, the Israelites, as they went out of Egypt, came into covenant relationship with God, and came to the borders of the promised land. And it's a constant story of Israelites saying, I was created for more than this. I was created not to have to eat manna. I was created not to have to walk through this wilderness place. I was created not to have to deal with this annoying Moses or this annoying Aaron. I was created not to have to live in this sort of broken suffering journey. Christ crucified is not enough. What we need is not to realize that we have a debt, not to live in the space of obligation what we need is to fall in love in fact what we need is more than that what we need is to fall into covenant love and that's what we're going to look at today what does it mean to fall into covenant love we're going to do this by looking at two things what does it mean and how do we do it what does it mean and how do we do it and we look at those two passages that Jeff read we'll begin with the Deuteronomy 14 To 16, Deuteronomy 10, 14 to 16. Now let me read it to you again. The Lord your God belong uh, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today circumcise your hearts therefore and do not be stiff-necked any longer circumcise your hearts this is the language of relationship this is the language of covenant love this is the language of orientation this is the language of i live to do this i live for this person i live with an orientation towards god and of course If we use that grenade experience let's unpack that a little further Say you do come back and as we said before my life was purchased by this person who jumped on the grenade I owe it all to his legacy to his to his wife but of course I can't because of those two competing kingdoms but what if I come back and I fall in love with her and I move into her house and I marry her and I have my children with her and she asked me to paint the house and I do it and she asked me to polish the floors and I do it and she asked me to meet her wants and desires sexually and emotionally and materially and I am committed to that it's a different story that's a covenant love a moving into and when we go back to that story of that coffee shop where I sat with that woman and said I was created for more than this. I don't want to be lonely. What do we say to those who are single? To those who are who who are gay, born gay, and choose to be celibate. Those who have a choice, and we see them struggle with that choice to be faithful, to say Christ is not enough. Christ's death, Christ crucified is not enough. Christ's death is not enough for me to be faithful and then we look at those who don't have a choice in their behavior we look at those who perhaps have physical or mental disability those who are exploited because of uh, political or economic or gender or racial issues and they're the victim of that exploitation how they respond whether they live in that space where they feel anger or guilt or resentment or obligation depends on whether they are contractually connected whether they see themselves as owing the debt they were purchased and therefore they owe a debt or whether they are covenantal I am his lover let's look at verse 15 yet the Lord set his affection don't miss that word affection so the Lord in his covenant relation to us has affection for us The Lord set his affection on his ancestors and loved them and he chose you their descendants above all the nations the question of course then gets flipped Uh, we so I am his lover I am the apple of his eye he chases me down he loves me he is devoted to me he is committed to me I am everything to him enough for him to die on the cross for me but is he the apple of my eye am I devoted to him am I in covenant loved with him I am his lover but is he mine do I love him more than loneliness do I love him more than anger do I love him more than resentment and the real question of course is not for those who are struggling because most of us are probably not single some of us are but some of us are married some of us are uh, uh, not mentally or physically disabled. Some of us are not exploited. Many of us, in fact, are privileged. So the question is, for those of us in relationship who are able-bodied and minded, who are not exploited, why do we fail? Why do we not give everything we have? Why do we not use our sexuality and our physicality, our health, our privilege, our resource? Why do we use that to satisfy the flesh and not to embrace God as our covenant lover. Now last week we looked at redemption. We looked at the idea that baptism represents walking through the judgment water and that water not crushing us, that water not drowning us, that water not uh, destroying us. And we, we talked about the example of the Red Sea as being that tsunami held back And the israelites walked through that and we connected that through luke 15 verses 49 and 50 to the death and resurrection of christ to christ's baptism it was christ that took the crushing of the water for our redemption for our salvation for our atonement to pay the debt and this week we have moved a little further through the book you see we are In the book of Deuteronomy where Moses is recounting the story of the history of Israel and they've just he's just finished talking about the golden calf now I don't know if you know what the golden calf story is about but what happens is they come to Mount Sinai and it's time for them to become covenant people covenant lovers and God says Let's set up the rules for covenant love, and we'll unpack this covenant piece a little more in the next section. But that text begins very clearly. People think it begins with, You shall have no other gods but me. You shall have one God. But that's not how that covenant begins. It actually begins with, I will be your God, and you will be my people i am the lord your god who brought you out of egypt out of the land of slavery it begins with the relationship and ironically as moses is up on the mountain as god is giving him the law in those 40 days the law of covenant relationship the the israelites the hebrews the rabble that have just walked through the red sea only weeks before waiting for moses to come down side, he's been gone for a while I don't know what this is all about let's collect our jewelry let's make a golden calf that we can worship and their words their words are horrific and we see this in Exodus 32 verse 4 which compares right to those first covenant words in Exodus 20 which the one in Exodus 20 I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the land of slavery what they say when they make the golden calf this is the God who brought us out of the land of Egypt this golden calf incident is massive covenant lover failure this is an affair of the most horrendous sort. this is where you after you've been in a loving caring committed marriage through the ups and downs of everything you run off and have some sort of cheap sexual affair just because. You wanted some sort of self-gratification just because you wanted some sort of acknowledgement, just because for a moment things got hard. You gave it all up, you threw it all away, you ran off. Instead of being a faithful covenant lover, you indulged your own flesh, you created a golden calf. And this is a massive failure on the part of the Israelites, the Hebrews. A massive unfaithful affair like failure in their co- as covenant lovers and of course we look back at what it is to be lonely and to act out on that what it means to be broken in some sort of physical or mental way and to resort to anger or resentment to be exploited and resort to anger and resentment and the flip side of course as well to be married and to abuse that sexual emotional physical closeness to be to be whole to be resourced up and not use that in faithful service of the lord god these are examples of massive infidelity towards god of gross affairs we see very clearly that it says god set his affection God was our covenant lover. And he says, Moses says, don't do that. What you need to do is you need to circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. And as Jeff, who preached this sermon in uh, two minutes rather than 25 minutes, made perfectly clear that is not a possibility. That is not something we can do. I know I want to be a faithful lover I want to be a faithful lover one of the things I most hate in my own life is my perpetual awareness of my sin and I'm sure that's true for anyone who is a faithful Christian they sit and they live and they realize that they cannot circumcise their hearts they cannot fully orientate themselves to God and we have to live in that Christ's crucifixion is not enough for some reason the fact that he purchased my life still doesn't make me faithful. I was created for more than this and if I get into a contractual arrangement, if I feel like I'm obligated, I move to guilt and resentment, I move to anger, shame, all of those things start to swamp. So how? How? We circumcise our hearts. So let's look at that second passage, Deuteronomy 31 to 6. Now, this is covenant language. In verse 1, we see when all these blessings and curses, and then we jump right down to verse 5, and it talks about you're more prosperous and numerous, make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. So we have both of these ideas of covenant, right? We have the idea that there are rules. And we have the ideas that there is this sustained long-term relationship. And we we see the, the contradiction here that seems to be evident and existent all throughout scripture. Is God holy? Are we obliged to follow the law? Or is God loving and forgiving? Does he scatter and banish? Or does he gather and restore? Do we, does God say to us, "I will only bless you if you are faithful," or does God say, "I'll bless you no matter what"? Should we be guilty because we're adulterers, or should we live it up because we're forgiven? And this narrative, this contradiction—or what an apparent contradiction—is all through Scripture, and it's actually a false dichotomy because it misunderstands what it means to be in covenant, to be covenant lovers. Now, all relationships uh, have a certain element of covenant and contract. Let's compare them. Let's start with the least intimate, the least significant, and that's something like a transactional relationship with a car salesman. There are rules to that relationship. You have to have the money to buy the car. He has to have the car to sell it to you. You expect him to have a title. You expect it to come the way you ordered it to come, in the color that you ordered it to come. There's sort of an unwritten and unspoken reality to how the whole negotiation goes. But that is very much a contractual relationship. It's not like you go back every week after you've bought the car and you have lunch with him and you uh, say, Oh, that was fun. I loved, I loved my car. And he says, you know, I love selling it to you. It's so great that we established this relationship. (laughs) I'll see you next week for lunch. It doesn't really work that way. It's a contractual relationship. And then you move into these friendship-type relationships, where you are more present to them. And if someone, if a friend, is suffering or having a hard time, you are, you are covenantally uh, willing to move in and, and, and stand next to them and carry them and bear their burdens. And the flip side of that is also true. But there's a sense in which our priorities to family or to other things or to perhaps a job might move us to the other side of the country. That. The present day-to-day aspects of that friendship change that covenant isn't completely and fully covenantal. There's a sense to which those relationship boundaries have contractual external factors which impact what happens to that over time. And then, of course, we move to the covenant relationship that we most and fully understand, that of marriage. And there are, of course, rules for marriage. There are some less uh, obvious rules, but they, they, they still apply. You, you try to come home on time, you know, you, you try to share the duties around the house as much as you can. And there are some really, really obvious rules which are really primary, like you don't have an affair. And what's more, you don't have serial affairs, and you don't have affair after affair after affair after affair we understand this in the context of covenant relationship with marriage we want to see those words that we used before we understand the sort of blessings and cursings of our behavior and how they impact the marriage but the marriage should stand strong but we understand the fundamental rules which are there and we talked before remember the Deuteronomy uh, sorry the Exodus 20 beginning to the covenant document that Moses was 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 uh, bringing to the people I am the Lord your God and you are my people I am the Lord your God I will bring you out of the I brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the land of slavery so there's this language of covenant you are my people I am your God and these are the rules that make that work and the more intimate our relationship the more it is covenantal so if we have covenant relationship with our spouse the more important the more the more joyful the more relationship already something the more it should be covenantal then how much more is our relationship with god supposed to be covenantal we are supposed to be covenantal lovers now in my counseling practice i often have to deal with people who have had serial affairs and they come in and they say i one man one couple i i worked with for for basically the whole of their his working life, he carried on serial affairs uh, in bathrooms with younger men. And then uh, he was finally discovered by his wife and the whole thing came out. And they sat in my counseling office and they said, "We, is this marriage salvageable? Is this marriage salvageable? As if I am some sort of divine guru who can sort of answer that question. But two things they said is, look, If this marriage is to work there are two things that are going to happen the first thing is you are going to have to work at home to make sure you don't do this anymore you're going to have to do the hard work of working out how to be faithful you're going to have to sit there and work out what does it mean in a sense to circumcise my heart to my wife what does it mean to live faithfully you're going to have to work that out but to the wife i have to say you have work to do too it's not your fault it's not fair but you're going to have to do the hard work of forgiveness. Every time your husband goes shopping, every time he goes to the gym, every time he you know, has to leave town or something, and you feel that doubt, whether you feel that he's going to betray you again, and he might, you have to not take that out on him you've got to not hold it over his head you've got to do the hard work of forgiveness and I don't even know if this relationship is salvageable because I don't know if it's safe I don't know if it's safe for the man who's had the serial affairs because I don't know if you can forgive him and I'm not even sure there's an obligation on you to do it but if you want to save the marriage you have to forgive him and you have to work out how not to do it and here's the thing right we're talking about circumcised hearts talking using the word circumcision. It wasn't actually the Mosaic covenant that had circumcised hearts. It was the the, used circumcision as the covenantal marker. It was the Abrahamic covenant, the very first covenant in Scripture where God sets apart a people. The Adamic covenant and the Noetic covenant were for all people. The Abrahamic covenant is where God set set apart a group of people for himself. And in the uh, Abrahamic covenant, it was the cutting off, the circumcision, the cutting off of the foreskin that symbolized that you were part, the external indicator that you were part of the covenant community. But it was an external indicator of what was required as an internal circumcision of the heart, a full orientation towards God, a full commitment to God. and in the mediating of that covenant when you go back to genesis 15 we see god as king the way they used to make those covenants was they they call it cutting a covenant not writing a covenant and the reason they said that was because they would literally cut animals take animals cut them in half lay them on either side and if you read genesis 15 you'll see the cutting or the signing of this covenant between god and abraham and Abraham is told to get the animals and cut them in half and then he's expecting to have to walk through them and say, if I am not your faithful servant, if I am unfaithful, I should be cut in half like these animals. That's my consequence for not keeping the covenant, that I should be crushed, that I should be judged for that. And so Abraham gets the animals, he cuts them, he lays them out. He's probably thinking, oh my gosh, this is a big deal. I'm going to have to walk through this. And then God comes down and puts him into a deep sleep. And then God, in that Shekinah uh, flame, the Shekinah walks through the middle himself. And he says, look, I will pray, I am committing to being torn apart if I don't keep my part of the covenant. But not only that, I am committing to be torn apart if you don't keep your part of the covenant. And of course, that is a direct reference to the death and crucifixion of Christ on the cross. And the problem is that we don't keep the covenant and Christ was crucified, but we have problems constantly with serial unfaithfulness. So Christ's crucifixion is not enough. It pays the debt, but it doesn't make us faithful. And the reason it doesn't make us faithful is because it doesn't bring us. It makes us legally able, but it doesn't bring us affectionately able to be in co- to be covenant lovers. It is the resurrection of Christ. The fact that Christ is alive, Christ is living, and as Christians, we sometimes forget that, especially as academic, theoretical presbyterian christians christ is alive christ is living christ was resurrected and the holy spirit his spirit in us so the living christ that we can ha- that is our covenantal lover that we can develop an affection for and notice the word set god set his affection upon there's an orientation there. there's an intentionality about that but more than more than the fact that he is alive the Holy Spirit is transforming us it is the work of the Holy Spirit within us that does that work and notice that that gospel good news in verse 6 of Deuteronomy 34 see when Moses was giving them a hard time about their serial unfaithfulness with the golden cow he said, circumcise your heart therefore and do not be stiff-necked anymore and then, of course for the next 40 years what did they do they were serially unfaithful to the lord they were stiff-necked and then at the end of that story moses just before he dies says look you're going into the promised land and you're going to mess it up again and you're going to be scattered around the world but finally you're going to be gathered together and you're going to be restored fully not just as this narrative applies here but you're going to be restored and, and the living christ and the Holy Spirit is going to circumcise your heart. Notice that. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts. The Lord your God not circumcise your heart, but the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. So the debt is huge, and the debt is paid. When we participate in Christ's death, the legalness aspects of God, the holiness aspects of God, they're met. But in Christ's resurrection, and in Christ, the deposit of the Holy Spirit. And in our ultimate resurrection, we are turned into, we are made lovers. We are turned into his bride. Colossians 2, 11, 12, which we'll come to later in this series, points it out. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. So, it's not the cutting of the foreskin here. It's a circumcision of the heart. Your whole self was ruled by the flesh, but it was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, by Christ's resurrection, by the spirit of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, the resurrection, through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So this baptism that we were buried in is his death and resurrection on the cross. That same baptism that we looked at last week in Luke 12 verses 45 and 50. So whether you are single, whether you are celibate, whether you are disabled, whether you are exploited, whether you are married, whether you are able-bodied and minded, whether you are privileged and resourced, you can be faithful, I can be faithful, because you were created for more. I was created for more. I was created to be not just saved but i was created to be a covenant lover to have an affection for to be committed to and so we often say ah you're just called to be faithful and we say that as a way of saying we don't have to control outcomes but it's not fully true because we're not called only to be faithful more importantly the gospel news is we are made faithful We are made faithful by the Holy Spirit deposited in us. We are made faithful because we are covenant lovers with a living Christ. And our baptism reminds us, not just of Christ's death, but his resurrection, that he is alive, and that he is our covenant lover. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, it is not enough to know you died for us it's not enough to have that understanding it's not enough to know that you paid the debt that we are owed and that we owe you everything it is not enough to be children of obligation of debt of resentment bitterness anger No, we need to start as covenant lovers we need circumcised hearts and we just well, that's not us we are serially unfaithful people Affair after affair after affair. Golden calf after golden calf after golden calf. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that we have a living Christ. Help us to have the same affection for you. Work your Holy Spirit in us that you have for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.